0: Today is our last Sunday in the series, uh, This is the Way. Uh, This is week nine of This is the Way, and we're looking at a defendable faith, a defendable faith. And what, what I mean by that is we can, with confidence, with assurity, and with certainty, defend the facts that are centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even a little bit beyond that, defending from a scriptural standpoint how both the law and the prophets, or the totality of the Old Testament, there are prophecies associated with messiah that referenced the very nature that he would suffer and die and because of the suffering and dying he also would be raised from the dead and you'll see as paul in this journey to jerusalem and ultimately to rome literally from acts chapter 21 through acts chapter 26 even all the way into 28 there's this disdain that the Jews have for this sect called the Way. And Paul is the frontrunner. He's the forerunner. He's the one who is not only propagating it, Jerusalem and all of Judea, To the Jews on a global scale, but he is now taking it to the Gentiles and the Gentile world. And he is describing how Messiah would die and be raised again. To the Jew, this is not in their vocabulary their understanding of the Old Testament scripture and prophecy did not allow for or see that Messiah would have to suffer. And when a Jew uses the terminology of suffer, they're referring to dying. That Messiah would suffer, die, and ultimately be raised from the dead. So for the Jew, that's an incomprehensible thing. Now they Some of the Jews believe in a resurrection, but that was a future event, right? The future event when everybody's going to be raised. Remember, Jesus said to Martha and Mary when Lazarus was dead, he said, well, your brother will live again. And they said, well, we know at the resurrection, downstream at the end of all things, he'll be raised back up. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die, right? And so they didn't comprehend at that time either. They were thinking resurrection way down here. So the very nature that Messiah would die and be the first fruits of the resurrection was a foreign concept and was like blasphemy to them. And so anybody who's propagating something other than what they understood the text to be, they want to eliminate... And their means of elimination is death. And so this is, this is Paul's experience. And so today we're going to go on a journey with the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to go back to chapter 21. So it's going to be a review because there's pieces and bits that we can ascertain from his conversation that every single focal point has to do with the resurrection which presupposes the death of Messiah. Does that make sense? And so with that... It's important because, believe it or not, at some level, every single person that you and I come into contact with, when it comes to processing Christianity and believing or not believing, it really focuses back down on, if we can get there in conversation with people, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he rise from the dead? Because if he did... That has a radical impact on the responsibility of every human being that walks on the planet. Every single person that you know, every single person that I know, has a radical responsibility because someone rising from the dead, and you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, so to speak, but he died again right? You understand that when people were raised, like in the Old Testament, when Elisha lays on a man and he rises from the dead, or the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, when he lays down on Eutychus, kind of mimicking what the prophet Elijah did, and he was raised from the dead, Eutychus ultimately died again. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it was to live forevermore. He is the first fruits of the resurrection unto life. And so it's a radical difference. And so this is this is something that's just We, as human beings, have to navigate what the impact of that means. His resurrection validates every single thing that he said. And he said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Right? And so that responsibility for all of our friends and people we know and us if he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and his resurrection validates everything that he said, everything that he spoke is true, he is God incarnate, and he came and he died a substitutionary death for each one of us, and he rose from the dead, and we must place our faith and trust in him because the absence of placing our faith and trust in him, there's no atonement for our sin. And that means eternity, there's only two destinations on the flight of eternity, right? Smoking and non-smoking. Everybody got that? And uh, what you do with Jesus determines where you're going to be sitting, right? Non-smoking, I'm going to heaven. Smoking, I'm going to hell, okay? And so it's eternal, and there's, so the crux of all eternity is the resurrection. And so the question to you and I this morning and the question about Christianity really is, is the resurrection of Jesus the Christ, defendable. Is it defendable? And I believe the answer is an unequivocal yes. We're not going to get to the answer of that question until the very end of the sermon this morning at 3 p.m. Just kidding, just kidding. Okay, so what I want to do this morning is I want to pick up in Paul's Journey. We're gonna gonna span about a two and a half year period, and we're gonna we're gonna pick up on some of the conversation that he's having. Because you know and I know the apostle James in his epistle, he says, brethren, count it all joy when you face diverse trials. When you go through some difficulties in life, when you face trials of various kinds, count it joy. Well, we see Paul is in literal trial after trial after trial after trial. And we see a currency running through him, a, a, uh, almost like a real power of joy flowing through him because his mission, it has nothing to do with his physical circumstances. It has everything to do with getting the message out. And so there's a constant joy because God is putting him in places where he can communicate faithfully the gospel. So, Paul, in the midst of his literal trials, he might be an inspiration to you and me if you're going through some trials right now. I mean, we all know what it's like to go through trials. Can I get a... Amen. <laughs> we don't like it, but God is with us in the midst of it and the scripture inspires us count it all joy God is doing a refining work in us. And so may the apostle Paul be an inspiration to us. So by way of remem- remembrance or reminder in Acts chapter 21 Paul he's made his way back to Jerusalem. Now remember From Jerusalem, he made his way to persecute the church, and he was on his way to Damascus with letters to bring men and women from that area back to Jerusalem in bonds to either blaspheme Christ or be put to death. And when people were being put to death as part of the Sanhedrin, he was voting for their death. He was in affirmation that one should be killed, stoned, and put to death. He was there when the first martyr, Stephen, was stoned, giving his consent to all those who stoned. And he was protecting their gear, and he was affirming that death. That's why he says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. There's nobody like me. I persecuted to the point of death many, 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 and to the point of forcing followers of Jesus to deny Jesus. Imagine that weight on his shoulders that he caused some to blaspheme that he now calls brothers. And so he's uh, on his road to Damascus. He encounters the resurrected Jesus, and he has this encounter. Jesus knocks him off his horse, talks to him, Saul Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And he says, Who are you? And Jesus, who's physically there, says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He says, Arise, go into Damascus, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, right? And so he has this encounter. And it says, It goes on as he's giving his defense, if you will. In Jerusalem, they, the Jews, are crying out against Paul, and this is what they say uh, against Paul. Men of Israel, help us. So this was in Acts 21. Help us. This fellow over here, this guy Paul, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, against the law, and against this place, the temple. Help us get this guy. And it seems like in the text you can gather that those things didn't quite rally the people. It'd be like if someone was saying, well, you know, there's a group of people over here who are saying things against the church. We need a group to show up and just, you know, be support. We might look at our calendars and say, well, yeah, I mean, I'll go, but, may, you know, it's like, well, we, I mean, you know, we got other things that are, might take precedence, right? It's like the people weren't motivated. So it's almost as though, hey, here's a guy who's speaking against people everywhere. He's speaking against the law, and he's speaking against his place. But then the caveat, he says, and furthermore... He also brought Greeks into the temple court and has defiled this holy place. And It was like that was enough to just get everybody just stirred up in a rally. And they got into a riot, and they are like going to beat Paul to a pulp. They literally seized him, drug him out of the temple, started just pounding on him. Word gets back to the commander of the, of the Roman guard, and this guy, Claudius Lysias, that he comes in. And as soon as they see him and the Roman guard rushing in, they all stop pounding on Paul. <laughs> It wasn't me. (laughs) What, this blood? I don't know. Anyway, so Claudius comes in and he's like, What's going on? So the commander picks him up and as he's taking him toward the barracks, and I I would want you, if you've not seen pictures or been in Israel or Jerusalem, everything is big there. Like staircases are as wide as this room. Because there's, when The three festivals a year, you know, two point five million people converge on the city. They got you got to have room for people to walk around. I mean, the temple court area is ginormous. It was in that day. I mean, it's so so very big. And so they're in this area outside of the temple courts, and there's staircases all over because of the different topography. And the commander basically is taking Paul out. And uh, chapter twenty-two, Paul. Paul begins with the defense. Now, he says to the Roman commander, he says, hey, can I, can I speak to you for a moment? He goes, hey, do you speak Greek? And Paul says, yeah, I do. And so he communicates with them, and he says, can I address the people? And then when he addresses the people, he speaks in Hebrew. And so everyone, whoosh, a hush comes over the crowd. They're like, whoa, this is a learned guy, and he's, he's speaking our language. And so Paul addresses. And Paul gives his defense uh, in that temple area and tells of the encounter again, of his with the resurrection or the resurrected Jesus. So now he's he's telling them I'm I met Messiah on the road. And so later when he returned to Jerusalem from, from Damascus that earlier time period, Jesus spoke saying that Jesus spoke to him. Paul said, Jesus spoke to me and said these, make haste get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony of me. So Jesus tells Paul early on before the missionary journeys, get out of Jerusalem, they're not going to listen to your testimony of me. They're not going to hear that Messiah needed to die, Messiah needed to be raised from the dead, Messiah was going to ascend into heaven, and that you needed to believe and trust in him. So he's trying to communicate, Jesus is communicating with him. Paul actually kind of gets into a little bit, he's like, well, wait, these guys know who I am, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus says, "Oh, Paul, get up and go. So when God says go, sometimes we argue, but God ultimately gets his way. Jesus gets his way. So here again, the crux of the matter is they're not going to believe the testimony. They're not going to believe the resurrection. They're not going to believe the necessity of Messiah to die and to be raised from the dead. And so in verse 21, uh, he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And that's when Paul begins his missionary journeys. And so the first, second, and now he's coming back from his third missionary journey. So, Paul noted that Messiah, the Messiah as he was claiming Jesus to be, had directed him to go to the Gentiles. Now, for a Jewish mindset, just please with me, try and bear with me for a moment. Again, they can't see Messiah needing to come and die and then be raised from the dead and then the Jews not receiving the message, so take this message to the Gentiles. That's so offensive to them because they're God's chosen people. I mean, we're the the offspring of Abraham. And now you're going to take the promise, the hope of all Israel, and give it to the Gentiles? What? As if we're not going to receive it. And that is absolutely irating them, if, that, if you can make uh, irate a verb. It's irating them. They are just absolutely vehement. And so the commander of the barracks takes him in. He's trying to discover a little bit more, puts him in bonds. He's going to beat him, scourge him. And Paul says, is this legal for you to do? I'm a Roman citizen. And then there's that whole dialogue. He says, hey, look, I was born a Roman. You had to buy it. I'm, I was born it. And Paul there uh, he again gets the opportunity to uh, give uh, a defense. And so he uh, states that up to this point, he's lived in good conscience before God unto the day. And uh, what, what happened was the commander the next day wanted to know why the Jews were so angry with him. So he says, well, I'm going to bring them before the high court, the Sanhedrin, So the commander, Claudius Lysias takes Paul into the Sanhedrin, and Paul's just starting to talk. He just says, hey, I've lived in good conscience in front of you guys up to this very day. And the high priest, Ananias, says, hit that man. And they just pile drove him in the chops. And Paul says, you whitewashed walls, how do you judge me illegally from the very thing that you're supposed to be judging correctly. And so he calls him out on the carpet. And, of course, they want to hit him again because that's the high priest. And so he diminishes his his language use. But he says to them, he says, uh, he says to them, Ultimately, Paul declares, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead. So again, he's referencing the hope and he's representing, uh, referencing the death and the resurrection. He says, that's why I'm here on trial. And again, that promise, that hope is the Messiah, is Israel's hope. And so the crux, it's the resurrection. It, the issue is the resurrection. The issue is the resurrection. The issue is the resurrection. It keeps going. And so that night, the Lord Jesus stood next to Paul, said, Be of good cheer, Paul, as you have testified for me faithfully here in Jerusalem, so you must also do in Rome. So the, Jesus himself stands next to Paul and speaks to him again and says, You're going to have to go to Rome, bro. And so Paul knows he's on his way to Rome. The Spirit had already told him he was going to Rome. Now it's affirmed by Jesus himself. And so he knows. But it's going to take him a couple years to get to Rome. Here's what I want to say to you in that regard. Sometimes God will call you and I to do something. But God's timetable may not be our timetable. Does that make sense? Sometimes there's a delay, and it's a divine delay, and it's okay. It's okay. So just be mindful of that. Um, Okay, so that being said... Uh, chapter 22 concludes Paul being sent to Felix, who is the governor in Caesarea. So from Jerusalem, Claudius Lysias, he says, Paul's not safe here. Let's get him over to the coast where the Roman government's situated and is seated. And so he goes there. It's 61 miles away, and he's now in Felix's hands. So chapter 24 begins, and the accusers of Paul end up going all the way over to Caesarea. And they're going to make the same arguments to Felix and they try and do it and so Paul states in as much as you know or as in as much as I know that you Felix have been for many years a judge of this nation I do the more cheerfully answer for myself it's ironic that Felix translated means cheerful which he was definitively not but Paul in Felix's presence definitively is he says I'm delighted to give my defense in front of you he said, "...to answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it, is no, uh, it was no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone... Nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove any of the things which they now accuse me of. So he's like, I'm not guilty of any of the stuff that they're claiming. However, he says, I will confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, a sect of the Nazarenes, because Jesus is of Nazareth, and so it's the sect of the Nazarenes. He says, so I worship the God of our fathers believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. Believing all the things that are in the law and the prophet. What what is Paul not saying? He says, I believe everything that's written. What does that mean about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin? They don't believe it all. They don't believe it all. And this is why why those guys hated him so much, because he's trying to demonstrate to them from their own scriptures how Messiah had to die. He quotes Psalm 22, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, quoting Psalm 22. He quotes Psalm 16, that Messiah would see no decay. Of the line of David, there would be one in the line in the tribe of Judah whose body would see no decay. Well, decay only occurs after death, which means that the one had to be raised. And they both use these texts in their... You read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3, and you will see that he's quoting that very text from the Psalms. They missed it. They didn't see it. They didn't understand what it meant. And so now they're, Now he's actually kind of slapping them in the face because they don't understand even their own text. And he says, I have hope in God. His hope, again, when he refers to hope, he's referring to that messianic promise, the promise of a deliverer. He says, I believe in that, but it's a little bit different than what these cats believe. And so he says, uh, these guys understand that I believe that, but... Uh, And that there will be the resurrection of the dead. And so it goes on a little bit further. And ultimately he says in verse 21, he says, Unless it is for this one statement which I cry out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by this day. Again, so the crux of the matter is the resurrection. And so my emphasis today, as you can already gather, It all falls back on the resurrection. It all falls back on the resurrection. It all falls back on the resurrection. And so lest I go through this too far, I'm just going to jump ahead. We come to chapter 25, and Paul is going to be speaking now to the new governor in Caesarea. Festus is there. and. The Jews, again, make accusation against Paul. It's been now two and a half years from the original time that Paul was taken in the barracks by uh, Claudius. So two years he's been in prison, so to speak, with some house liberties, but he's in prison. And now Festus wants to hear. And so the Jews, when Festus came down to Jerusalem, the Jews said, send Paul to us, and they wanted to ambush and kill him. Festus says, not going to do it. You come up to Caesarea, and you can make your accusation, and which they do, and so Paul at that time is asked by Festus, hey, would you go back to Jerusalem with me? I'll keep you safe. He says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm here. I stand at Caesar's court, and this is what he said. He says, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death... I do not object to dying. I love that about Paul. He says, look, if I did something wrong and it's deserving of death, take my life. I'm willing to be responsible. He said, but that's not the case. If there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So he knows he's supposed to go to Rome. Jesus told him. The Spirit of God told him earlier. Now he's going to find his way to get to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. And any Roman citizen who felt they were being treated unjustly, could appeal to Caesar and then go and make his case. Well, this is a problem for Festus, and I don't have time this morning to go in the details, but Festus inherited this problem by a guy named Felix. Felix didn't deal with it. He procrastinated. Festus comes in and he's like, Now what am I supposed to do with this guy Paul? And there's like a a, a two-year period that's gone by. If he appeals to Caesar, i got to send him to Caesar, but I don't have a reason to send him to Caesar. Caesar's going to think I'm incompetent, just like Felix was incompetent, and that's why he got taken out. And so what am I going to do? And just about that time, King Agrippa, who has a whole lot more authority in the Roman government, shows up in town, and he's a relative. And so Agrippa shows up, and uh, Festus tells of Paul's whole story. And he says, "Well, I want to hear this guy's story too. I want to hear his story." And he said, "Okay, then you'll hear the next day." And so Acts chapter twenty-five, verse twenty-three says, "So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice came in with great pomp and circumstance, and had entered into the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, uh, and Festus, uh, and Festus commanded that Paul be brought in." So they're in Caesarea, and you can Google this uh, just the Auditorium of Caesarea. And if you see the Auditorium in Caesarea, we've unearthed it. It's there, and it's ginormous, and it's beautiful. And King Agrippa coming in, it would have been a whole big deal of pomp and circumstance, and the place would have been jam-packed, and about 4,000 to 4,500 people would be there. And Paul's going to be able to give a defense of the gospel right there in that setting with the first church of 4,500 people. I mean, that's a pretty exciting day. And so... uh, They're all there. King Agrippa's there. Bernice, his sister, weird relationship stuff. Uh, And uh, Felix says, Paul, come in. And Festus uh, makes his intro. And Agrippa motions to Paul and says, Speak. And Paul once again tells and shares the same story that he's been telling from the very get go of what happens to him on the road to Damascus. He is like, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. According to the law, I'm perfect and then kaboom on my way to Damascus to put people in persecution to stop this thing called the way and kaboom I meet Jesus okay this time he gives a little more detail Jesus says to him rise stand to your feet For I, Jesus, have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentile to whom I am now sending you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here's the deal. For you and me, this is this is this is a takeaway. On a on a warm day, does it feel warm to you guys in here? Man, it seems warm in here. Thank God for the air conditioning that's getting installed this week. Hallelujah! Anyway, here's the takeaway. This is our message. This is from our Commander in Chief, Jesus. He is directing Paul in verse eighteen. He says to open their eyes. there is people. There are people walking around you and me every single day who are blind to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who don't even believe it, who've heard the story maybe, but there are so many who have never even heard the story of Jesus now. There are people, millennials, walking all around our community that don't know the story of Jesus because we are a post-Christian nation. There's a generation that has come up that has not heard the story. They don't know what the real meaning behind Christmas is. And that's scary. And so our assignment, our objective to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, listen, and from the power of Satan to God. Think about this for a minute. Anyone whose faith is not in Jesus, are you ready for this? He's saying there's only two powers. There's the power of God and there's the power of Satan. You're under one of those kingdoms. And if you're not under the kingdom of God through Jesus, then you are under the power and the kingdom of Satan. And we are turning people from darkness to light. That is our mission. And so God help us to accomplish that. And so as he made these declarations... He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works f- uh, befitting of repentance. Verse 21 For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having attain, obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great. Again, if you could hear the words of Paul, who says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, he says, from that moment until this day, this is what I do. He says, "Uh, I stand, making a stand for the kingdom, witnessing both to small and great. Whomever you and I come into contact with, they're worthy of hearing the gospel. Let me say that again. Every single person that you and I interact with, they're worthy of hearing the gospel. Jesus died for them. That guy who cut you off on the freeway, and you got kind of frustrated with, that guy who didn't let you in as you had your turn signal on and sped up so you couldn't get over, worthy of the gospel. Right? We get angry and we get frustrated with people, and we're like, ang, 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 and want to say things and, you know, maybe share some sign language or whatever it is that maybe we do when we're frustrated. But they're worthy of hearing the gospel. And so God help us curb our behavior so that we can be about the kingdom of God first, right? And so ultimately, he said this. uh, Witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than which the prophets and Moses said would come. So we speak the word of God, not our own words, right? We speak the word of God. That the Christ would suffer. In other words, Christ would die. And that he would be the first to be raised from the dead and proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, And so, worship team, you can come on back. Um, He goes on, he says, Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are a mad dog. Much learning has driven you mad. And Paul says, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Let me say that in our sharing of our faith, we should be speaking the truth, and we should be using just the simplicity of good reason. Good reason. We have a reasoned faith. And so, he says, truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Since this thing was not done in the corner. And then he does the marvelous to me. The marvelous is he pops the question. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets. Do you believe? Do you believe? I know you do. In our conversations with people, there will be the right time to speak, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Are you ready to put your hope and faith in Christ? Do you believe? It's interesting that Agrippa had cause not to come to Christ in his own mind. But he says these words, you almost persuade me to become a Christian." King Agrippa is part of the Herod clan and they are ruling, Roman ruling class over the Jews. The Herod clan is a mess and if you read some history you'll discover that these guys are in bad shape. I mean they're just weird, they're just really, really weird. Uh, But they're also evil and they're wicked and they, I mean, uh, great grandfather destroyed all the babies in Judea at the birth time of Christ. A a great uncle, did he killed uh, James, that was the leader of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 12. I mean, they're just bad apples, right? Well, apparently he just didn't want to repent and do the acts of repentance. And so he says, you've almost convinced me to become a Christian. And it's interesting that he would know the things of the Jews because all of the Herods wanted to study the things of the Jews and became very learned about Jewish belief. And the reason is, is because they have a common tie and their common tie goes back to abraham father abraham who had a son of promise named isaac isaac had two sons the two sons were jacob and esau jacob was the younger esau was the firstborn but god had said that the older would serve the younger and so that it was through jacob that the promise would come jacob's name was changed to israel he had 12 sons and thus the 12 tribes of israel Esau became the father of the Edomites, and the Herods are all Edomites. And so they're like half-brothers to the Jews. And so these guys are super interested. But he's like, you almost convinced me. But he has some baggage. And his baggage, truly, in my opinion, was his sin. His sin kept him from coming. And so his sin was Bernice. Actually, his sister, whom he was living with and in an incestual relationship, which is bizarre. But ultimately, people that you and I are communicating with, they believe that they have reasons to not come to Christ, and we have to unpack that with them and share the gospel, share the good news. And so I want to encourage you in that way. But the evidence is is the resurrection, which is the crux of everything in the last five years that Paul has been talking about is it a defendable thing from the scriptures the answer is absolutely yes and amen we can demonstrate that and so evidence is the first evidence is simply this the reliability of the scripture and the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament and we have both accounts and they are divinely inspired and so we can give infallible proofs the empty tomb number two there's a tomb to this day in Jerusalem That there's no bones. And there's so much about that in that first century and everything centered around the years right around the resurrection. And if this was not the case, why did no one produce a body? So there's lots of historical evidence around that. We'll talk in greater depth another day. Also, the resurrection... The resurrected Jesus' appearances. Number three, the evidence is centered around those who saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And there are many occurrences and many eyewitness accounts and testimonies. At one point in time, over 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead. You have all those testimonies, eyewitness accounts and the origin of the Christian faith. And these four evidences for the resurrection, and I know they're not up on the screen today, because our next series, we're going to unpack each one of these, because our next series is strengthening our witness. Strengthening our witness. Equipping ourselves to actually be fluent to share with people the why behind the what, and why I believe what I believe. And so I hope that gives you a little bit of inspiration. So this morning, what I really want to do is I just want to close with a word of prayer. We've unpacked Paul's last three years of his life, and the focal point, the focal point, the focal point has been the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for you and I, when we're in conversation with people about our faith, we want to bring them to the focal point. We want to bring them to, do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Because that will be the mark where responsibility falls on people. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. Will you stand with me this morning? Mariah is going to close us in a uh, just a chorus this morning, and we'll be dismissed. And remember that next week we're going to have just the single service at 10 o'clock. And uh, we might even have some air conditioning working in this room, so it will be a little cooler in here. And uh, we're looking forward to being together and uh, studying God's word and worshiping the Lord together. It will be a full house, guys. So uh, come early and uh, reserve your seat. We do have the overflow room, which I'll hopefully we'll have air conditioning at that time operating as well but uh, we're looking forward if you're here this morning and your faith isn't in Christ your faith isn't in Christ yet I, I, I look across the room and I think I know just about everybody here and I just want to encourage you if if you you've not crossed that line today is the day of salvation put your hope and faith in Jesus If you make the decision to be a Christ follower today and you say, you know what? I want what Christ did on my behalf. I want my sin to be forgiven. I want my name written in God's book. And you place your hope and faith in Jesus. The simplicity is, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Hallelujah. The next step would be to let someone know Would you let us know? We have a prayer team that's going to be right over here. Would you today, if that's you, would you make your way over to the prayer team and say, hey, today I put my hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And my name's written in his book now in heaven, hallelujah. And by telling someone, they'll also give you some just practical steps, and kinda next steps, and help you with that. And then if you're just here this morning and you have a prayer request, and you want someone to pray with you, to pray for you, they're over here, they'll anoint you with oil, they'll pray with you, and they'll just offer that prayer faith, and we believe that God will raise you up. Heard testimony this week, we prayed for a lady last Sunday who was in the hospital, I mean, it, we, we prayed with her son, And I will tell you, I got testimony today. That very day, everything changed, and she was in dire need. She was in an induced coma, and they couldn't get her out. It changed Sunday afternoon. And we thought, come on, God is moving. He answers prayer, yeah. And I thought, praise God. And so their daughter came this morning and wanted us to know, mom's out of the hospital already. I'm like, what? And she said, Sunday afternoon, my brother told me that you guys prayed specifically for her, not only in service, but immediately after service with him. And he said, it was Sunday afternoon. And I thought, man, God is so good. God is answering prayer. So if you have a need, please come and pray.